0: What's up, guys? We're excited to tell you about the WGT closest to the whole challenge once again. Not going to lie, everyone I've talked to says the hole I picked this week is quite difficult hitting it out of that sand trap. So you might be in for a challenge if you haven't tried it yet. And if you win the challenge, you can get a free DNVR shirt or gift card to a local restaurant. And at the end of all this, the grand prize is still tickets to an Avs game or a jersey of your choosing if you live out of state. To play, All you have to do is go to FreeWGT.com to start. Download the game. Again, you have to download it from FreeWGT.com to be able to compete in the competition. Once you have the game downloaded, go to the closest to the hole challenge. This week, the specific hole is going to be the St. Andrews course, hole number four, which is the one that you're hitting out of the bunker from about 127 yards away. That is the one we're trying to knock it in the hole on this week, and whoever gets the closest to that hole will win the free shirt or gift card. All you have to do is take a screenshot after you've played the hole with your score on it and send it in either at us at DNVR Avalanche on Twitter or email it to info at the And you'll automatically be entered in the grand prize drawing at the end for those tickets or a jersey as well. So one more time, just to recap, FreeWGT.com to download the game. Closest to the hole challenge, St. Andrews, the fourth hole of the challenge. Get in there, get it close. AJ, I think you said you got it to six feet or so yesterday. I haven't even gotten it inside like 20, so. 6.9.
1: Nice. And I tell you the the way to do it is to, uh, well, the way that I did it was I left it short and let it just roll.
0: Yeah, and, a little because it of... wasn't
1: it wasn't even that it wasn't particularly close, and then it just rolled
0: on me, and I was like, okay, we cool. There you go. The inside info from from AJ to hit the punch shot out of the bunker. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's we, go ahead. We know and- golf. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I know some in real life, but probably not. <laughs> uh, all right, let's jump into the show. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole, a left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen! He Suits and scars! Nathan McKinnon! Call J T Comfer! 877 goes now! Gabriel Landeskog, Collective hugs! 29 and 92! Save me by Grubauer! Move over, Picasso! This piece of art is by McKinnon, my
2: goodness gracious! <laughs>
0: Welcome into the DNBR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations. And use their express checkout to be in and out in minutes or go online to mygreensolution.com to order for pickup and use code DNVR20 for 20% off your purchase. This is the first period of the show. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Haefeli. The Avs are on their third day off in a row. So we kind of figured we'd take a little bit of a look around the league and some of the news going on. We talked about Alex Kerfoot's suspension on yesterday's show. Kind of wanted to expand on that. We talked about the refing side of it. We haven't really talked about the Department of Player Safety side. Specifically, on the same night that Kerfoot had his issue, Robert Bertuzzo ended up getting suspended by for four games because he cross-checked Victor Arvidson and then cross-checked him again after the refs gave him a penalty and he was on the ice. Arvidson ended up getting hurt because of this. If you haven't seen the clip, It's pretty brutal, but go watch it and you'll know exactly why it was so gross. So far this year, the Department of Player Safety has given out nine different suspensions. Two of them are for off-ice instances, that being Kuznetsov and Zykov, but the other seven have all been on the ice. So there's been quite a few suspensions. AJ, what do you make of this Portuzo situation?
2: Well
1: I think uh in you know with with the Kerfoot thing happening at the same time, and especially given what happened with Arvidson, I think people had a perfectly reasonable stance of
0: how can Kerfoot get two games and yeah. Bortuzzo only get four right Given that Bortuzzo, first of all, cross-checked him and hurt him with the initial cross-check, was given a penalty at that point, turned towards the refs and went, that's not a penalty, and then goes back for more and cross checks him again while he's down.
1: He figures, I already have taken the penalty. I might as well just keep going. Uh, and then, you know, even Bennington gave him an extra shot in that sequence, too. So St. Louis Blues, everybody. <laughs> Uh I mean I I will say I I think that uh we've talked in the past about like punishing result, right? Yeah. Eric Johnson gets boarded by Kerfoot and because he gets up, they don't call it a major in the game. But they suspend him. Okay. You know, had he had he stayed down or whatever, then you know, maybe maybe the same thing. Maybe you can make the same argument with Arvidsson because he got up too, and both of them were called penalties, but both of them were deemed suspendable actions. I think the big, the my big difference between those is that I mean Kerfoot. Kerfoot was trying to play hockey. Yeah, and it's he the did,
0: intention of the work, right? Right.
1: He did. He did something stupid in the in in the heat of the moment in a very questionable situation, where it's easier to make that mistake than
0: Bortuzzo's, where you have to want to do that. Right. I, if it was the one cross check from Bortuzzo you'd say all right that was pretty bad should probably be suspended you can't really be doing that to players but the fact that he goes back for the second one after the fact, uh, you're basically talking about intent to injure at that point
1: well right and even even on the first one i mean he's not doing anything he's just cross checking that dude because he can
0: yeah it's certainly fair it's not a hockey play right but, right
1: there's the the puck is the puck isn't involved in it they are you know, all he's trying to do is move him out of the the net area, and you know there there are ways to do that in which it's perfectly legal. And he just wasn't interested in it. He just decided to cross check the guy, and then once he'd taken the penalty, and after he'd whined about it, he does it again. And yeah, four—I mean, four games. It feels it feels light. And I think that this was the league being afraid of the if it if it's going to be six or more games, then it has to go to an independent uh, arbitrator, and they have to, you know, they have to review the case and decide if that's an appropriate suspension or not. And it keeps the league from handing out the kinds of suspensions that you and I have talked about wanting in the game, uh, because if you are going to truly stop some of these things from happening. Uh, that's, that's the way you do it is you really drop the hammer on them. You know, is, is Robert Bortuzzo going to think twice about cross-checking a guy because
0: he's, he was suspended for four games. I don't know that he will. Uh, what, what kind of number were, are you thinking here? Cause off the top of my head, what popped up immediately to me was 10.
1: Yeah, me too. 10 would have been my number.
0: For intentionally to cross check a guy again once he's down on the ice is bad enough. To do it knowing full well you're already in trouble for the first cross check you made, there's no heat of the moment there, like you said with Kerfoot. That's bortuzo going, okay, I'm probably going to get suspended, so let's hurt this guy.
1: Yeah, it's it's just not a hockey play, and like this is this is where you and I will get people rolling their eyes and saying that we're soft and that hockey is soft, but like, I'm not watching hockey to watch Robert Bortuzzo go after one of the, the, one of the predators, better skill players for funsies. It's not what the game is about for me. It's not why I'm interested in it. I don't clearly the NHL would, would agree with us that it's not what they want because they just suspended the guy. I just don't think that that's, I mean, it's not hockey. It's not. And to to try and push the idea that it's part of the game, I think is is part of the culture war that's now going on in hockey in a very, very big way.
0: It, it definitely is. It, the changes have been steadily happening for a while now. You know, you can get into the talk that enforcers aren't really a thing in the league anymore because there just isn't room for that type of player. And... It's been this give-and-take conversation for a long time where a lot of people have said, if you take the enforcers out of the game, you're going to have a rat problem in the NHL. And that's where the dopes can step in, right? If people are running around being idiots and trying to hurt other players, you can suspend them for a significant amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, I i that,
1: I think that would be a great... That, that would be a great change. Suspend it would, them for a significant amount of time.
2: Right. It,
0: I can understand the viewpoint of, of wanting fighting in hockey, even wanting more fighting in hockey than there is currently. I don't necessarily agree with it. But you don't, or at least I should. I should say, I don't want more fighting in hockey at the sacrifice of the skill.
1: Right. I want to see, I want to see, you know, I like big hits like everybody else. You know, I, I like the physicality of the game. That's one of the reasons why playoff hockey is so fun to watch, right? Is because at its absolute highest level, all the intensity gets ramped up and it becomes a beautiful combination of a fast and skilled game combined with the physicality that really separates the NHL from other leagues. Otherwise, you know, you could be watching the SHL, the Liga, the KHL, right? You know, less physical leagues with a lot more space. I, I'm just not, I'm not, I don't, I don't want that. I'm not saying that it needs to be a skill only league and to remove physicality from it and all that. It's just that honestly, I, the league is, the league is trending in a direction that I like in terms of, it's speed and it's skill and bringing back some of the creativity that I think is getting lost. And when you have guys, you know, like Guy Boucher coaching a team who's coaching a one, three, one and tries to win every game two to one. So I like where a lot of the, the league is headed just naturally because you yeah. figured out, Hey, that's what other teams are going to do. And we can't just, goon our way through it we can't just bully our way through it we have to get guys with skill yep and if you can get a, if you can get a roster full of guys with skill and physicality great but this idea that you know and there are there are teams that uh, that are out there that get pushed around and that get bullied the abs used to be one of them i don't think they're as much now uh i think that without landis and ranting and calvert and you know like their full complement of who they are. I think it's a little easier to get away with. But um, I I don't I don't think that you need to bring back any kind of role for guys where all they do is just wail on you.
0: Right. It physicality is a part of hockey, but you have to draw the line at some point of the guy's not out there to play hockey he's out there to beat people up on skates and that's not hockey right well and it's certain it's not hockey today right it, it certainly was in the 70s and 80s and even in the 90s as well but i mean S- scott parker one yeah. of you know 2001 first round draft pick to punch yeah.
1: people in the face and did it very well and like was very good at his job and there was a there was a place for that you know the Avs The abs always had at least one roster spot for a guy like that.
0: Uh, Peter Worrell over the years, a bunch of other guys, Jeff yep. Otters. Yep.
1: I mean, we could we you know Cody McLeod was kind of their crown one jewel of, of that because they developed one, so then they have to keep trading for one every year. And he ended up being one of the last enforcers in the league. <laughs> right, and. You know, and what's he doing now? He's down in the AHL where he's not, he's not worrying about fighting people. He's just down there playing hockey. Yep. It's. And good for him, by the way. That's an awesome setup he has. Right. Getting paid to
0: play hockey down there.
1: Yeah. And he gets to, he gets to help out on uh, the, the broadcasts when he's not playing and they let him, they let him travel back and hang out with his family in Nashville when uh, it's, it's like one, like it's like one weekend every month. Like, it's a cool deal for him. I just, yeah. I just like that. Anyway, um, I, I I think that this whole – it's kind of – it's it's funny because we just assume all the guys in the league are bad guys. You know, that teams are going to take every little advantage that they can. It's why when we talk about why do teams report injuries the way they do, lower body injury, upper body injury, you know, stuff like that the big reason that some people defend it the most offsided reason uh, that i hear is well somebody's going to take advantage of that when they come back from injury there's going to be somebody that takes advantage of that you know but you have teams out there and oddly enough the st. louis blues guys get hurt all right this guy is going to be out for 12 to 14 weeks because he had left shoulder surgery and you know it was a uh, grade whatever separation and it's going to have to do this and that. And this is the rehab process. And somehow all of their guys managed to stay alive when they come back from
0: injury. Yeah, it's, I, I do think that leads back into the culture thing where this culture was built of, Oh, you know, everyone's dirty and we have our goons to protect our star players. And you get into the whole culture of goons. Don't go after other goons. So I don't know. It's, it's a struggle for me, especially because I wasn't around before the 90s, in the 70s and 80s, when it was really like you're talking about Wayne Gretzky having an enforcer on his line to protect him at all times and things like that. But I struggle with the idea of having face punchers for the sake of having face punchers, because I don't think they would solve this problem.
1: No, there's not a. They're not a deterrent. It's the same idea that Nikita Zadorov keeps players in line because he's out there, right? You know. And then what happened? Eric Johnson got boarded. And what happened? to Alex Kerfoot? Nothing. Nothing. Nikita
0: Zadorov played in that game. And even like, here's what happens if someone tries to fight Alex Kerfoot after that. Kerfoot says no and either there is no fight or one of the avs drops their gloves tries to punch him in the face gets thrown out of the game and the avs are on a 5 minute penalty kill and then could end up being suspended down the road right exactly so it's a lose lose on the avs side
1: <laughs> it's it's just a different it's a different it's a different league and it's a different world and un-
0: honestly i don't mind it i don't mind this at all all right I think we can wrap the first period there. I need to get like an air horn or something to signal the end of these periods of the podcast or something. Please please do not get an air horn. (laughs) I can put it in in post so you won't hear it. Okay.
1: That sounds Uh, fine. Torture (laughs) torture our listeners with it as long as I don't have to listen to what it's
2: golden. I am fine with this.
0: Sorry, y'all. I think we just discovered a reason that aj drinks so it's time
2: to acknowledge
0: breckenridge brewery the official beer of dnvr they're the original colorado beer established here in breckenridge in 1990 every week we tell you about a bunch of their beers today i'm going to tell you about their christmas ale because we had a bunch of it at our little dnvr get together the other day and it is delicious it's 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 not like drinking eggnog because it doesn't taste like eggnog but it tastes like Christmas. It has all of the like kind of it it tastes like a Christmas tree basically with cinnamon mixed in and all of that. It, I I really like that type of beer so I'm a little bit biased but They really do make a a ton of good beers, and the Christmas Ale is one of their seasonal ones that they have right now that I think you should go get at your local Davidson's or any liquor store, for that matter. And also keep an eye out on thednbr.com for our Breckenridge event calendar, where we have a bunch of events planned, and we will have Breck beer at all of them. So come out, drink a few, have a good time with us, and we will be back in a second. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. I'm Ruto. He's AJ. We were starting to get into the conversation about the culture of the NHL. And and this goes a long way beyond just enforcers and, and bruisers and the Department of Player Safety, which kind of leads into the next major topic that has been buzzing around the NHL lately. It started with Babcock, which we talked about a little bit on yesterday's show. Today it's come out that there are some some things that Mike Peters has said, or Bill Peters, not Mike Peters, yeah, Mike Babcock, there we go. Bill Peters has said in his coaching history back in the AHL and things like that that are, if true, pretty bad, and it, is this a systemic issue top to bottom in the NHL. Are these the type of things that are just regularly happening? And that disconnect is just widening as we go. Yes. All right. That is an unfortunate and straightforward answer. I mean,
1: let's be honest, man. Like this is when we talked about coaching and how they've been, how it's di- it's different because, you know, trying to reach, the hard-headed and stubborn millennial forced them to change in some ways. You know, that goes that goes to a lot of that speaks to a lot of different aspects. It speaks to the decline in hazing in pro sports over the last 10 years. You know, where hazing used to be a regular thing. You know, the the Broncos famously would do silly rookie haircuts and the new coaching staff came in this year and said, "No, no more of that." You know, we're we're hearing all kinds of stories are coming out now. And faster than we can keep up with uh, today uh, about guys and, and things like hazing and and the way that certain coaches have treated players over the years. And, and you know, Bill Peter's
0: right at the heart of a lot of this. It's, it's just interesting because these things always seem to come in bunches, don't they, where, you know, this has kind of always been a thing that has, tried to have been swept under the rug in the NHL for a long time. It was successfully swept under the rug or at least just accepted as something that happens. And now Babcock gets fired and the stories about him start to come out. And then Bill Peters comes out. And then there's a lot of people talking about how this is just the norm and trying to take steps to bring it into the public eye and explain that this isn't OK. Why? Why is it so hard? for the league to accept that this is an issue that needs to be fixed. I mean, you can't treat people like that.
1: I'm with you, but let's, let's, let's treat, you know, starting, starting at the lower, the lowest levels of hockey. Let's remember that those are kids that they're out there having a good time and that they're kids you know let's was it patrick osullivan that had those stories about his dad made him just miserable playing to playing
0: hockey as a kid like I'm, yeah there's plenty of kids out there that have similar right. stories of parents or other kids parents in the stands that whatever Don't, don't, don't be that, don't be that hockey
1: parent that forces your kid into this. If your kid likes, if your kid wants to play hockey and it's fun, let them do it. Let them be a kid. Let them have some fun with it. You know, as they get a little bit older, if it, if it looks like they're really, really good and, and they're going to end up, you know, progressing. And this is going to be something that they might do in the future. Then great. Encourage that, you know, nurture that talent, you know, try to, try to maximize it. But this this constant negative reinforcement at every level, you know, where you're coming down on kids and you're screaming at them and you're saying all kinds of crazy stuff to them, you know, just because he's you know 16 years old and he was a he was a top WHL draft pick or something, you know, doesn't doesn't mean you should feel comfortable screaming at that kid and and carrying on like a crazy person, you know, just at all levels of hockey like let's see let's see if we can maybe be successful at what we do being people first and not letting the competitive drive override every single other aspect of of your mindset
0: it's uh, for young kids especially I, re- I agree with you no kid is gonna be an NHL or from what they're doing in their MITES career. Like, it, it just doesn't matter that much. But once you get into uh, that older age groups, once players start getting scouted, whether it be for the WHL or, or any other league, the, whether it's North America, Europe, there is going to be more coaching involved. There is going to be that level of intensity. But you can't just take for granted that this kid is going to just accept whatever st- style of coaching or enforcement, whether it be negative or positive, there needs to be a dialogue with the player himself of what that player needs, what's going to help them. And then even if he does need some negative reinforcement to a certain level, there are certain things that are just unacceptable regardless. And right. Like, you don't have to heat
1: of the moment is never an excuse for being a scumbag. Right. You know, there's, there never needs to be any kind of physical altercation between a coach and a player at any level. And, you know, you can show tough love, tough, tough love is, is something that you can, uh, you can use and you can exercise in certain situations without calling a kid names or, you know, a, even if it's not a kid just a 25 year old dude in the NHL you don't need to call him names you can come down on you can come down on a dude and and still be respectful in doing it you know there's every every single <laughs> every single institution you know professional environment on the planet requires you at some point to come down on somebody
3: It's such an
0: easy thing to do at the NHL level or in most sports. If you want to have that type of reinforcement, look at what Jared Bednar does with Nikita Zadorov. Your play wasn't good enough. You're scratched. It doesn't take a bunch of yelling matches. It doesn't take that. It's, hey, I'm sending you a message that if you want to be in the lineup, you need to play better. Well, and this
1: this is where we have seen Bednar actually connect with some of his players. Yeah, in a way that Wad did not, because, you know, with Patrick Wad, there was a lot more of that fire, you know, that in your face, yelling, screaming, shouting stuff. than there was. Level headed, rational discourse, and we've seen we've seen that connect with some of these guys, Uh, you know, with with Bednar just communicating. You need to talk to him. You know, and we're not privy to those conversations, obviously. And nobody gets nobody's in a really big hurry to tell us the details of of all of them. But it's still something that you can we can we you're around the team enough. You see the differences. You see the different way that Colorado's locker room and the culture has has changed. And it's all for the better, man. I mean, they. It's a much more mature room. It's it's a room with a lot more accountability, and it's one that communicates like adults.
0: And that's, I mean, it's necessary to a certain extent in every profession, not just sports, but there is certainly a, a large element of camaraderie when it comes to sports and, and things like that. And it's important to remember that even – Professional hockey players, yes, they're unbelievably good. Yes, they're making millions of dollars, and this is their job. But they're not hockey-playing robots, except for maybe Connor McDavid. Who is say uh, hockey-playing robot? Right. <laughs> but most of them are human beings who have emotions just like the rest of us. They, go, they have ups and downs as well. They get frustrated as well. Mm-hmm. And if they're upset with their play already, and then you're yelling at them, you're screaming at them, you're putting them down – you're just adding more fuel to the fire of that player saying, this sucks. I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah, It's, it's a tough spot too. And, and let's not kid around being a professional hockey coach is not an easy job. There is a lot of pressure on them as well. And it does take a lot of work and tr- trial and error to some extent to figure out what a hockey player needs as far as growing as a individual and growing as a hockey player, but,
1: and that's, that's the stuff where you have to get to know the
0: guy, right?
1: They're- you have to spend a little bit of time getting to know each one of the players to know how they tick and how they respond. And you can't just have this super distant, aloof relationship where, you know, you're master and commander and you're shouting and you're hooting and hollering and carrying on like a fool and thinking that's,
0: that's going to just work for 23 guys. It's obviously, it it isn't. I mean, maybe it will for some teams when you talk about, did it matter who coached the 2000-2001 Avs? That team might have just won no matter what. But you can talk about other teams like the old Red Wings teams that were insanely good as well. And at that point, you know, those rooms are so tight-knit that they can pretty much coach and police themselves as well. That's the ultimate goal, right? The coach shouldn't have to do that much in that regard once he's brought the team together. right? So it's it's a tough conversation to have because it's one of those things that most of those conversations are private. And, you know, if the players don't want those conversations out there, they're not going to get out there. But sometimes things like this happen where something crosses the line and It's important to tell people about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And kind of this, uh, you know, all the stories that have been coming out just this morning on Twitter, uh, all the Bill Peter stuff. I mean, this, this started with a story about Mike Babcock and how, you know, he manipulated Mitch Marner. And it just led to this outpouring of of okay, well, players are suddenly feeling comfortable telling their stories. well, I think it's interesting, and I think i i I'm all for it players should feel if they if if they think that there has been something inappropriate that's taking place, have at it, yep, I agree like i let 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 it go just this this could be a watershed moment for. The NHL and hopefully in in changing its culture, uh, I'm more I'm, I'm I'm more cynical than that in reality. But the naive hopeful part of me would say I I hope that this turns into something that really starts to have an impact uh, on the culture of hockey and as it starts to change, hockey hockey is a great sport with a lot of really great people in it, but that doesn't mean we can't do better. I think we could we could all do better to make it a more welcoming sport for everybody, a better sport, a, a, a better sport for for fans, for players, uh, for you know people working in the game. I, I think that there are at all levels and and in all facets, hockey is amazing, and there is lots of room to make it even better. And I think that, and I and I 100%. think that that's why why would we not want that?
0: If you're not always trying to make the sport better, why even bother, right? And from the angle I'm seeing it as, these stories coming out, I don't think could do any harm as far as making the sport and the culture around the sport better. 100%. So that's the hope, at least, you know, anything to help move the needle even a little bit in that regard, I think is a good thing, but we'll go ahead and end up our second period there as you know it that can be a bit of a tough conversation but there's a lot of a lot of aspects to it so and if you have thoughts on this or something to say i highly encourage you to speak up in the comments aj and i try to do our best to get back to as many people as possible or or bring it up on our weekly question shows or something like that and it, that it's something that i would like to talk about more than just aj and i because it is a community thing I will. I would add. Uh, we would people that put questions
1: uh, and stuff in comments on the site. We're gonna start giving priority to.
0: Yeah, I I already have a bit um, because first of all, it's way easier us, for us to find your question if you post it right on one of our our podcasts because it's just right there. And mm-hmm. secondly, you guys are the DNVR members. We want to have our members come first. That's just
1: one of of the perks. It's a free, uh, it's a free podcast, but one of the perks of the membership is that if you really have a question you're dying to have answered, you toss it, you toss it onto the site and we'll prioritize it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Cause that's why we're here is because you guys want to listen to us. So we want to answer your questions. I don't know how much I believe in this, but it's a good transition. So there is a certain element of being rubber. And having some of those words bounce off of you and not affect you. So, what? It's time to acknowledge Denver Rubber Company. Denver Rubber Company is one of the most reliable local partners for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber to custom contract manufacturing, and custom hoses. And guess what? I'm sitting here looking out this window with about a foot, a foot and a half of snow on the ground outside here. So, if you need some help with some of those snow plow blades, Denver Rubber Company has you covered. They can cut to size and pre-slot most snow plow rubber. The blades can be cut to any length and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. We went and checked out their warehouse a while back now. I've talked about it a bunch of times, but they are really capable of making just about any size, shape, or material for that matter, of whatever you need cut, pre-made, slotted, sized, circled, whatever you want to call it. They really do have some awesome stuff in their warehouse and are capable of making just about anything you need, which you can buy products for yourself and, of course, buy bulk at a fantastic rate. They're a family-owned business with loyalty only to the people, just like us here at DNVR. So be sure to call them for... Anything you need, whether it's rubber for snow plows, hoses, as I said, custom gaskets, all of that, you can reach them at one eight hundred two five nine zero zero one zero, or visit them at drcfirst.com dot com slash dnvr. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche Podcast, still presented by the Green Solution. I'm still Rudo. He's still AJ. Another part of this kind of culture conversation that is a bit relevant today. Andy just posted her quarterly review of the ABS as far as grading their performance based on the analytical side of the game. And I think we're starting to see a lot less of the butting heads over the past couple of years when it comes to the analytics community versus the older, I don't want to call it the iTest community because it's more than that, yeah. but the general argument is iTest versus analytics. I... I struggled to put my finger on the pulse of of how exactly analytics is is changing hockey. And certainly we talked about this the other night off air that analytics are changing all major sports in one way or another. But what's the biggest effects you're seeing of it in hockey? Um, I mean, you
1: have to think that the games switch towards. Especially on defense towards skating and puck ability, puck skill. Yeah. I think that's a huge impact of the analytics, right? Like
0: it, it, it is, absolutely. We're
1: seeing, you know, we talked about this last night at the party. Ian Cole, six years ago, you know, Ian Cole was a prototype. The ideal defensive defenseman. You know, a guy with a little bit of offensive game, but was very physical defensively, um, made life miserable, you know, mucked and grinded and did all the dirty things in the corners and did all of that willingly and well. And was, you know, blocked shots is physical, is hard nosed, is tough, you know, well liked has has the, the leadership qualities that you really like. Makes makes perfect sense, right? Like It does. But now as you see it, you look at the, the drafts in the last couple of years, Ian Cole's not going in the first round anymore. And remember, he was a first-round pick. Yep. That guy's not going in the first round anymore. We see very few of those types of guys going in the first round. All of the guys that go in the first round now skate. They can skate. You look at this upcoming draft class. And what is it that Jamie Drysdale does
0: so well? He skates. I do think part of this is, look, the analytics, when you're trying to quantify these things, when you don't have the puck, you're not playing as well. And a defensive D, what does Ian Cole do going into those corners at his best is when the Avs don't have the puck. So it's it, there is this big movement towards, okay, what type of players do we need to acquire that allow us to get the puck, and then hold on to the puck. Right. (coughs) And a guy who beats people up in the corners with lacking puck skill at times, isn't that? The idea that what
1: you want out of a defense are quote-unquote good defenders strikes me as a really flawed way to view defense. Because what you want is the puck, not to be playing defense in the first place. And when they say that the best defense is a good offense, I think the NHL more than it ever has is embracing that. I'm not saying you want six Tyson berries. It's not what I'm saying, but you want, you want guys who can do a lot of different things, you know, different sizes, different skill sets. But the one thing that they need to have in common, they need to be able to move pucks. You know, if you can't, if you can't skate pucks out yourself, and this is where we've seen, and and, and Sam Gerrard in the NHL is a defensive defenseman. I, it's what he has been. His points per 60 is really low. His even strength scoring is really low. We all want him to be more offensively. He just hasn't been. The reality is, is he's a defensive defenseman in the NHL, but he's really small. And so that doesn't fly for some people because he's not physical. But he takes pucks away, he skates pucks out, he breaks pucks out. That's what you want from the defense.
0: The reality is that a puck-moving defenseman and a defensive defenseman are no longer mutually exclusive things. That's a great way to put it. In fact, the league is moving more and more that the best defensive defensemen are the ones that can move the puck out.
1: Right, and what I what I think the the real delineation that we might want to make is between a puck-moving defenseman and an offensive defenseman.
0: Right. those You can be a puck-moving defenseman and an offensive defenseman. You can be a puck-moving defenseman and a defensive defenseman. Puck-moving is just a specific skill about getting the puck going on the breakout right. and doing it with accuracy and consistency. Right, and that doesn't mean you're bad at defense.
1: It just means you move pucks at a high level. Yep. And I think that's more of where the league is is trending. you know, you you look at all the guys, all the top defensemen being drafted in the last couple of drafts. you know, you look at the a couple of years ago, uh, with Haykeden and McCar and Quinn Hughes. That's crazy. Yeah, like those it's... guys would have all been late first rounders 10 years ago. Because they were viewed as one-dimensional, one-way players. You know, they were they were guys where okay, well, the offense, you know, the offense is there, and okay, but they have now they have to learn how to play defense, and now you know when the the way I look at it is this: when Patrick Waugh when Patrick Wah got here, what did they do at the end of the draft? when wa when wa showed up and all of a sudden it was like uh oh, all right so we're going to we're going to focus on some defensemen but we really want to just take the big guys
0: yeah random big dudes in the
1: 6th right. and 7th we're going to take Mason Gertzen and we're going to take Ben Storm and yep. we're going to just hope that they develop right and and just hope that we get that one right they took an offensive defenseman in the in between them in the meantime and that's the guy that ended up in the NHL and Will Butcher. I right.
0: you know he's consistently been very solid in his role for New Jersey. Right. And now you look at
1: okay, well what's what what has changed over the years? You look at where Colorado has changed in in how they've drafted later on uh you know, Nathan Klerman, Nick Leverman. You know, late round defensemen who can skate, who have puck skills. Although Corman is more of an all-around guy and Lieberman's more of an offensive guy. You're talking about two guys who have puck skills and can skate and produced offense where they
0: were when they were drafted. This, it shouldn't be a revelation, but it kind of is that you draft talent, not size. Right. And that's, I think that's the change that we saw.
1: With Wah, they were like, hey, let's just go get big guys. Because before Wah with Rick Precy, he was trying to find Johnny Gaudreau with every pick. You know, he was like, okay, well, let's just go and get a bunch of small dudes and just hope that one of them turns into a superstar and go from there. And, you know, some of those picks ended up like Joseph Blandisi and Colin Smith for sixth and seventh round picks. Not too bad. But, you yeah. know,
0: Troy Bork in the third round? Come on. You can do better. <laughs> and and it is, it has been a bit of a finding themselves process for the Evs for front office when it comes to these things and approaching a more balanced strategy to that type of thing. It's, it, it's a process for every organization always to continue doing this, but it's, I consider it to be an advantage in the NHL. It's something that, The market value is higher when you can be consistent, when you can spread out your picks over a wide range of things instead of pigeonholing yourself into, oh, we only pick the big guys. Oh, we only pick the small guys. Oh, we only pick puck-moving defensemen or whatever. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to adapt to whatever you need, whatever this draft class has a lot of, whatever the best players available are.
1: I think uh, even a, a solid example here might have been Colorado's most recent draft class.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think this is a very for if you're looking over their history over the past decade or so, this past draft has been one of their most even keel in that regard. I I just I just mean in ten years ago, Drew Hellison
1: might have been the top ten pick, not Bowen Byron. Yeah, that would have been a big yikes. You know, just because I mean, Drew Hellison was is that that kind of def- you know hard nosed uh, defensive defenseman that's that's gritty and and digs and works and plays that shutdown role. And back then, you envisioned him. You the projection of him would have been okay. He's gonna go up against Sidney Crosby every night, and he's just gonna shut him down. He's going to run him into the boards. He's going to take the puck from him in the, along the wall. He's going to whatever, right? And then, of course, in reality, Sidney Cros- Crosby undresses that dude, puts him on the wrong end of a highlight reel, and you're left wondering, all right, well, now
0: what? And the answer is there is no now what. Crosby's going to get his. The, you got to be able to punch the, back. The, <laughs>
1: the answer is you go and you get guys like Bo and Byram who are too busy controlling the puck, but they don't give it up to Sidney Crosby in the first place. I mean, that helps. Like, I still think Crosby's going to get is, his. But <laughs> like my general point is that when you have the puck, you're not getting scored on. It's very true. And that's you- that's where I think the idea of defense has started to shift. And that is a direct result of what we have seen in the rise of analytics between under having a better understanding of the importance and the impact of controlled zone entries, controlled zone exits, uh, controlling the puck, uh, the importance of shot attempts, the importance of shot quality, all of that has, has a lot of it sounds like common sense, but when, when the whole Corsi thing started 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, and, and maybe uh, a more limited role, but 10 years ago when yeah. we really started to hear about it more all publicly, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, it, is this how important even is this and now it just seems like common sense oh well you're going to tell me that shooting more is a good thing huh well who knew how about that but then having the data to back it all up that's what changed how front offices approached building their teams and drafting and developing and everything that they did in an organization changed because the the analytics approach became so much more important. It's why and it's why teams no longer have one guy as their analytics guy. It's why they have whole staff. They have analytics yeah. departments, exactly. They have people who develop these models and and break down this data. You want to talk about an a, an example of analytics changing the game, everybody doing that damn drop pass on the power play. Yep, perfect example. You know, the numbers bore out that Controlled zone entries led to a much higher success rate of scoring on power plays as opposed to dump and chase. All right. Somebody went out and developed a way to do it. It worked. It became successful. It's a copycat league. 31 teams do a variation of
0: it. It's, it's very much the case that it's so hard to get an edge at times with that, right? Because, When a team finds something successful and they implement it, they have it to themselves for a certain amount of time, but all the other teams around the league are looking at that and seeing the effectiveness, and so they're going to pick it up as well. Yep. And just to tie in back to Drew Hellison really quickly, what are we talking about in the current day about a player like Drew Hellison? How is he going to make it to the NHL? He's got to be able to move the puck effectively. Mm -hmm. He's he's off to an encouraging start at BC, by the way. He is. That BC team over the past three weeks has really picked up their play a lot. Which, not a huge surprise, given that it was, like, 12 freshmen yeah, or something. talented like, team. It was yeah. a
1: super young group, but it was a really talented one, and once they come together...
2: Yeah, out.
0: they're pretty good. Um, yeah, but I guess that's all I got. Final thoughts on NHL culture and, and all of that, AJ? Uh, We could do better. We should do better. We owe it to the game to be better. All of us at every level. There you go. A good sentiment to take. That's going to do it for us on this episode of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. As always, I appreciate you listening. I'm sure AJ does as well. Just kind of updating how the week goes because it's going to be a little bit of a weird week for us. The plan right now is to answer viewer questions tomorrow, which will be Wednesday. Thursday will probably be off for Thanksgiving, and then we will have some sort of a post-game podcast after the afternoon game on Friday. So you'll know when and where to find these podcasts for the rest of the week. And yeah, we'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: Uh, Wines, I find them extremely helpful in helping me find something I'm
3: looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials.
2: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform. at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ah, mmm.
1: The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com we make this experience easy.